A Mistaken Identity. That's the name of Eric E.G. Graves' forthcoming play here in Cleveland, Ohio. Eric, like so many other creative writers, started off rather obscurely, with a vision and a dream and a passion for bringing something to life. And as I found from interviewing E.G., one does not simply require a degree in creative writing or poetry or any kind of playwriting. You simply need that vision and a focus and a drive to make it a reality. Enjoy my interview with E.G. Graves, the author and playwright behind Mistaken Identity, among other plays that have performed here in Cleveland. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to the Writer's Lens. This is Josh J.C. Felto, and I am joined today, uh, not in studio, but uh, in spirit across the, the internet waves, uh, gentleman E.G. Graves, uh, who is a playwright and nutrition educator. Say hello, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, hello, everybody. Hello, Josh. <laughs> Thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> yeah, man. And I and I totally, I almost fumbled it because I know we were talking right before this about calling you E.G. or Eric. So we're going to go back and forth with that throughout this interview. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll go back and but, forth, man. Eric is my main, but I go by E.G. Graves. So, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Just don't call me late for dinner, Josh, okay? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so excellent, man. Excellent. Um, so... Eric is someone that I got connected with through another uh, individual who had been on the podcast before, uh, uh, Willie Scott, who's been on here twice, and his wife, Rachel, who's been on here once. And Willie and I were having some conversations about just some creative folks in Cleveland and some people that he thought I should be networking with. And Eric's name came up, and he said, man, you got to connect with this guy. He's doing this play. uh, It's called Mistaken Identity. And my interest was piqued initially because I've never talked to somebody who's written a full-on play before. Uh, and so for me, this is kind of a very, you know, kind of fun out of the box, almost out of my comfort zone uh, kind of uh, interview because I'm curious to hear about your experience doing it. So that's why I really wanted to bring Eric on here was to kind of talk about not only just his play coming up, but just this, this process of being a playwright because to me, this is really, really interesting. So uh, a fellow creative in the Cleveland area, as it turns out, I, I, I keep getting connected with more and more Cleveland creatives, as it, as it turns out. It seems as though this is a hotbed for creativity and people who are doing some real artistic work. So, uh, you know, EG, appreciate you being on here today, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, me, Josh. I'm ex- very excited, man. Thank you. Cool, cool. So before I give away more about you, I'd rather you kind of tell your story a little bit about, uh, you know, where you've come from and, you know, just kind of how this has been birthed in you really. So, so go ahead, man. Well, you know, the beginning thing is a lot of pain, Josh. I think, uh, think about my life and I know no different than anybody else's, but it's been a lot of pain, a lot of abandonment, a lot of isolation, Mm. a lot of problems. And, uh, and what I've just been discovering even now in my adult life is that that caused a lot of, uh, lack of self love. For, my, for who I was. So, um, but the gift of writing was always there. You know, there was a, there was a, a healing in my writing that I would never know about. So that, that, you know, I come from a family of eight and I didn't meet, I just met my father. I, I met my father at the age of 19, not 19 anymore, but I, <laughs> and all seven of my brothers and sisters, they, uh, they have a different father. So he was my, yeah. So they're all, my stepfather's kids. So he, he raised us, my stepfather. So I'm the only one that has a different dad. Um, October, October, 2018 was the 11th time I met my father, my, uh, mm-hmm. my biological. And the, I got the call on this past October that he was in the hospital for lung cancer. Oh, wow. And they said, you know, you need to get there. And I hadn't really spoke to him. So, but because he was my dad, I went. And on October 20th, he passed away from lung cancer. Oh, wow. On October, yeah, on October 22nd, Josh, um, that side of the family who I barely knew called me and said, Eric, you're responsible for all, A-L-L, all of your father's funeral arrangements. Wow. Josh, that was a tough, I buried a man I didn't know. Wow. And it, the six weeks, it took six weeks to get him buried. Six weeks. Oh, just think about it. And um, But I did get to know him. I got to know my father in six weeks more than I did when he was alive. Mm. And so I say that story to say my life has been a lot of that, a lot of just shocks and pains and bumps and bruises and trying to figure out who I am. Mm. And, uh, you know, yeah. So that's a, that's just a, a, a preview. 
Wow. wow. That's there. I mean, there's a lot there. And obviously I didn't know a lot of that before you and I just started talking now. And, uh, I mean, like you were just saying a lot of like bumps and just shock kind of stuff going on in your life. I mean, do you think that ends up as far as writing is concerned and wanting to have a voice about things? Is that really therapeutic then? Do you think as far as where absolutely. it comes out of? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm glad you it's therapeutic because mm-hmm. that's how I've made it. I've, uh, that one thing the writing does, and you say you write science fiction, you do some writing yourself. Mm-hmm. It takes us to our, it takes us to an imaginary place, yeah. and the imaginary place becomes real in our writing. So it's not that it's imaginary in this fantasy world that, but when we when we create in writing, mm-hmm. we actually um, create a reality mm-hmm. of some. Of, and I believe, and I've done that with my pain. I've done a lot. I just gave a more recent example of it, mm-hmm. but my life has been a lot of those bumps and bruises. But my writing has been the therapy that has, and I put, I'm, I'm able to add the humor. I'm a, able to add the the thing that I, I able to add the hope mm-hmm. to a situation that is hopeless. Wow, wow. And you found that hope, I mean, in terms of your writing, but also just, I mean, for me, my writing was really shifted when I found out I had a more kind of a higher calling as far as, uh, you know, where my writing was coming from. And yeah. because I, I feel like if if we don't have a bit of a higher calling in it, we don't have a purpose behind it, our writing can just become kind of an angry voice. You know, it, right. it's not directed in a sense that's actually going to help people. So, so I'm really encouraged to hear that that's the place you've kind of come out of with it. So, yeah, and I'm very proud as you speak. I'm looking at your, you know, that you call it the writer's lens, and I think that's awesome, Josh, because I see it twofold. I see it, of course, as the the lens, but it's it's the well, literally, it's probably it's the lens from which we we write, mm-hmm. and that view and that perspective on life. Yeah, you know, it's it's already yeah, it's. it's it is a higher calling, though. It's a, it's a different perspective. We've seen the writing that has made us, that has been angry and left us feeling like, mm-hmm. okay, we've seen it in movies, we've seen it in books, <laughs> and we're like, where were you going with that? I feel worse than I did. <laughs> and I think that writing, particularly the written word, is so powerful. Right. It's so powerful. It Very is. impactful. It is, it is. So what has, so knowing that you've had a lot of like therapeutic writing in your past, you've had a lot of these things that have kind of shaped and molded you, you know, throughout the years, e.g., uh, it's brought you to this place now where you've put on this full-on play, which again, I'm just totally blown away by because just thinking of having two small children and, you know, a, a job that I have and, and just trying to write a book is one task in of itself. But when I think of a play, there's so many moving parts that you're kind of directing and whatnot. How on earth did that get birthed in you, this desire to do something like that? Well, that's good, Josh. I think it, um, again, paying where mm-hmm. it was a uh, 97, 1997. I was, uh, I was married. I got married young. Mm-hmm. Um, tell people that when you get out of high school, you either get married, go to jail, get on drugs. Something happens crazy. Wow. But I got married. And um, my marriage wasn't going so well. It was going really bad. I, I didn't have any male figures to help me. So I was struggling. Mm-hmm. And in 97, I sat, I, I actually went to a stage play at the Playhouse Theater in Cleveland. And I was sitting there and something came over me like it was God. And it was like, I could write something like this. I had no prior experience to playwriting. And so I went home and I didn't even type it. I wrote it in a notebook. I wrote 100 pages. Well, when I got to the 100th page, I, me and my wife got into an argument. She was very upset with me. And she said, I can't believe you're taking food out the family's mouth. And I was like, well, how much does pen and paper cost? Because that's all I was really doing. Right? Yeah. I was just writing. Yeah. Well, I wrote, wrote at the kitchen table. And um, the next day I went to work. And I would always put it in the pile to the side. Well, when I got home, the play was gone. Completely gone. Yeah. Yeah. It just so happened that that was garbage day. And um, yes, Josh, my heart pain, man. I feel your pain. (laughs) My heart was thrown away, Josh. And then, um, Mm. and at that time I wasn't even going to produce a play. I wasn't, I just wanted to see if I could write it. Mm. And I, at that, at that time I worked at a Cleveland clinic and I had, I didn't know about acting or auditions or anything. So I was telling all my coworkers and they were like, yeah, I want to be in your play. I'm like, yeah, come on, come on. You know, I was like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Like, yeah, follow the Yellow Brick Road. Come on, everybody. And um, so I had these cast of people that were so excited. And 
But then my plate got thrown away and my man, my heart was crushed. And so I had to go back to each one of them and tell them that I didn't have to play. But there was this one lady. She was just so excited. She had never been in a play before. This was her big moment. And I apparently was going to be the one to give her that opportunity. <laughs> so it took me a little longer to um, to share with her that I didn't have to play because I couldn't break it to her. I didn't want to break her heart. Finally, after two weeks, she would ask, though, within the two weeks. And I would say, oh, it's um, it's coming along, you know. Yeah. And so after two weeks, uh, finally, I said, listen, I got to be honest with you. The play is gone. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what happened. I didn't disclose the information. Mm-hmm. But I was like, it's gone. And she was so heartbroken. Yeah, she was just so heartbroken. And that's what I was trying to avoid. And so um, after she you know, collected her feelings. She looked at me with a serious face and she said, so when you go write another one? And I was thinking, lady, didn't you just hear me? I, my whole, my heart is gone. Like, but Josh, that, that moment changed my life. That moment got me back writing, start writing plays again. After that, I began to study plays. After that, I began to see what playwrights were doing and get this further dedication in it. And um, I always thought outside the box. So I started seeing what they were doing and coming up with creative ways to go uh, a little bit different from that. So that birthed it. And and then the first play I wrote was about marriage. It was called um, From This Day Forward. Hmm. And it was about a couple who were doing, who were having troubles in their marriage, but they were, they decided that from this day forward that they would make it work. Hmm. That was not my story. But I wanted to see what it would look like Hmm. if somebody had a life like that. And then, yeah. So then later I would go on and um, I'm a father of two. My daughter's Miracle and my son's Elijah. Uh And they're they're 19 to 21. So they're grown now. But when they were younger, since I didn't have a father figure, I was really scared to be a father. Hmm. And so I had my daughter. I said, well, I'll just see all of this is just how the writing comes about. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'll just treat her like a lady, be respectful, open doors. But when I had a son, I actually thought God was playing a joke on me because I didn't know I didn't know how to fish, work on cars, play basketball, <laughs> golf, whatever men do. I was like, what am I going to teach him? I don't know. <laughs> so I was terrified. So my next play was called Tough Love because I wanted to see how far a father would go for the love of his child. Mm-hmm. So it was about it was about a father who would whose son was on the right track for college, and but he got caught up with drugs, and he ended up in crack houses and, 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 and places that he shouldn't, and his father had to go get him, go get him from those places. So it was called Tough Love. How far would a father go for the love of his child? Wow. So it, so these things inspired us, and then um, he went from Tough Love to, um, I did that twice. That got premiered twice in Cleveland, and then we went on to Adam, Where Art Thou?, Based off of uh, God asking Adam in the garden, where are you? But but more specifically to the single woman who was looking for her Adam. Where are you? Right. And my mother is a mother raised eight children. And I seen her do it. Even though it was a male in the house, my stepfather, she really pretty much raised us by herself. So I saw the struggle of a pretty much a single woman with a man there. And so I wrote a play, Adam, where art thou? And this particular young lady, she she had her life together. She was beautiful. She had money. The money she wanted, but she didn't have a man, and she realized that uh, that's, that her self worth wasn't tied in to a to a um, an outside force like a man. Mm-hmm. So she figured out that sometimes what God has in store for you is right in front of your face. It's not that you have to look uh, any further. So every every play, then from there I did a play. I did a. I went to. A, I used to work. I used to teach drama for the youth. And this young, uh, one of the young people came to me and said, Mr. Eric, can you come to my play? So I, I, I used to support him. So I went. It was a young lady. And I went. And and this play was called The Wonderful Wisdom of God. And the teacher at that school wrote it. And I was blown away at the concept that she could come up with something so creative. So I, I got back in touch with the mother. And I asked her, could you reach out to this teacher for me? I want to read. I want to. uh I want to redo that play. I want to I want to give it a, another spin with her permission mm-hmm. and did that play. I did the wonderful wisdom of God. I I changed a few things and I invited the teacher and she was blown away. It was a full length play. All these are full length. And she was blown away at what we. But I, but it was so good that you seek in the wisdom of God. And it was Dorothy and all of them. But they were after the wisdom. Of, it was a, it was awesome. And it was all good. <laughs> It's all kid production. You're you're getting me jacked up, man. Okay, so so I I, I got I gotta slow the brakes because this is like this is this is a lot of good stuff. 
Um, how much time was happening in between each of those plays for you? I mean, like the process as far as because the one thing that I mean, this is really I mean, this is really cool, and you're you're getting me like really interested in hearing some like just the details of each of these because there's a lot of themes that you're playing with throughout all these plays. I mean, it's not like you have just one idea that you're running with. I mean, these are all different. I mean, seasons of life, uh, sort of, I don't want to say traumatic events, but very dramatic things that can happen to us and kind of figuring out how to like filter that and interpret it, you know, as right. it's happening to us. I mean, cause that's yes. a big thing is interpretation. I mean, art is obviously about interpretation, but also how we're interpreting, you know, right. the art that yeah. we're making too is also pretty, uh, pretty paramount thing. So just to backtrack real quick, the time in between each of these plays, I mean, how did you even get your first play out and into the into the sphere of people to see? I mean, because I think that's really valuable to know. Just like, I mean, um, yeah, you wrote a play, but then, okay, how did I even get it in front of people? How did I get it produced? So I'm just curious how that happened. Yeah, well, first it was motivation from the it being thrown away. After I, I think that throw that throw away prompted me to find out more about how to produce it. I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot to work with. So the very first play was very just basic. Well, I, I ended up um, going to my pastor at my church at the time and asking him, could I do the play a Friday and Saturday and a matinee? Because I had seen other plays. <laughs> I seen other plays with a Friday night, a matinee. So I just mimicked that. And uh, on the first play, we so we, we we pushed it through the church and I did flyers and postcards. That's all I did. And grassroots, grassroots marketing. And 300 people came. Wow. 300 people. Yeah. And who didn't even know my name. Wow. And uh, yeah. So I, I didn't I didn't I didn't recognize the magnitude of that then. I get it now how blessed that was. Mm -hmm. I was just so focused on trying to produce it that I, I almost missed that God sent 300 people who didn't know me. So my plays have averaged 300 or more since that time. So it never went back. Mm -hmm. But 300 people came and we did it three shows. And um, that was where I got comfortable. That's where I got a little more confidence. Confident. The world didn't really know it. But it wasn't the crowd that made me confident. It was the fact that I actually was able to get it out of my mind mm -hmm. and onto stage. And that was the helpful part. It, the people came later, but I, I needed to know because I because because my play got thrown away by somebody I care, cared about. It was it was it was like I was trying to prove to myself that I was worth it. Right. And so so that was more of what it was about back you know back then. That's awesome. I mean, there really is something to be said for completing a project. I mean, just getting it out of your system because I, I mean I know the anxiety of like trying to finish a work like that. I mean that. It can be a burden that you make for yourself that can yeah. just cause you to just get weighed down. And, and all of a sudden, other things begin to be affected by it in a strange way. I mean, you as a creative can probably relate to this, too. I mean, when you have this focus, I want to get, you know, I, or I want to be able to get this message out. I want to be able to get this, you know, out. It's in me. I want to get it out. And if I'm unable to do that, if I'm hindered in some way, it can affect other things in our life. Right. I mean, it can affect Absolutely. other things. Yes. Um, and, uh, so, so I, 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 totally get that. So, so then this first play that went through that, you know, that went through your church and you had all these people that came, which is just awesome. As far as the next one and the one after that, did venues change? I mean, did you end up getting different connections well, outside of that? Yeah, it, it did get more exposure, but it stayed in churches for a while. Mm -hmm. It went to different, it went to bigger churches. Hmm. And so the churches got bigger. So, um, the audience didn't so much. The room, the space did. But I think from the time I wrote it to the time I premiered, it was four years. Wow. So I, I, because the play got thrown away, I had to, you know, check myself, my self-esteem, my emotions. So 2002, it actually came out from that time. That was the first time. But by that time, I had already, you know, had that self-talk and God had already kind of get confirmed. So then, yeah, it will move to the next church. And two, after that, it was every two years. So 2002, the next one was 2004, the next one was 2006, um, and then it was a 2008. So I did one twice mm -hmm. in those in that time. And so the last one, where I did, I mean, Adam, where I, yeah. So it was a, I was, I was averaging every two years because I had access to the churches. Mm -hmm. It actually made it easier. Yeah. But as I got further along, I learned more about playwriting, more about sets, more about auditions. So as I grew with the churches, I grew with my professionalism with the productions. That's really cool, man. So you're just kind of banging these things out every two years or so. I mean, is that kind of a typical time frame? do you think, for, for I'm producing? I'm not sure, 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't. But you know, all of that was fine until 2010. Um, to, all that was going good. 2010, it would take me from that time to now to do this next play. And so it, I lost my, I lost, I got the wind knocked out of me again. So I was working with a church and it was my biggest venue at the church. And they actually, they actually got the lo- their lawyers involved. So that, so I, I think that, I think they caught wind of maybe I was going to be something, you know. So we signed the contract and it was a church I attended. And I, I signed the contract in faith, like, yes, this is, but what I ended up doing was signing over the rights to that play uh-huh. to them. Not, not all the way blindly but somewhat blind mm-hmm. and josh it just it crushed me man it mm-hmm. crushed me because i thought it was at least going to be supported and and there was going to be other opportunities to present but it was not it was it's almost and then i own no rights i couldn't give out anything i give out dvds for free so from 2010 to now it, it took it took that long to really get back to confidence wow. last year 2017 i actually got back up 2018 i started writing and here we are uh, with this new production, so that's awesome. But, man. that's awesome. But we don't know. Yeah, and I was just—I'm sorry, to cut you off there. I—I I was just going to say we don't know how long those those kind of seasons, those periods of time are going to be. You know, like we no. just don't. You know, we're just—you know—we're called to, to walk in faith in between those yeah. time periods and just continue to look for that inspiration. You know, kind of those divine downloads, if you will, <laughs> in some I, way, I, <laughs> uh, to keep moving for, keep moving forward. So. So I give Especially you a lot. with oh, gosh, like writers, you know what I'm saying? That that yeah, yeah. We need we you know, we don't never we we're we're sensitive with our writing. You know, it's like, hey, this you know, all the writers I know, we we you know I told somebody, I told a writer recently, I said, they said, How much should I charge for something they were doing? I said, charge enough in case somebody hurts your feelings. You gotta charge <laughs> <laughs> you gotta charge enough because People gonna hurt you. Our writing is always up for critique. So, but I like how you said we get those divine downloads. And I thought in that in that night was been nine years now. Wow, um, that I wasn't a writer. I just thought that playwriting wasn't my thing. But God wouldn't leave me. He wouldn't let that go. Ideas were still coming. Things were just still popping in my head. I'm like, Lord, I'm over that. Remember, you know that. <laughs> Remember what happened back here. And God was like. No, the writer that you are, I need you to tell your story. I need you to do it in your essay. So now I got 10 more plays after this. And I'm, wow. and I'm going to do those every two years. I'm going to do those every two years. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's that was kind of going to be towards the end of the conversation. We can get to those for sure. But man, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's awesome, E.G. That's just awesome, man. So, I mean, your pathway and it just everything about it is just is just really inspiring to me because you've basically and I and you were saying how you're working at the clinic at the time and you were just yeah. like okay I'm gonna do this thing I don't know anything about it I'm just gonna go with it and just see what I can do you know oh. just throwing caution to the wind kind of a deal um, as far as you you were saying building confidence throughout the years you know you're doing them every two years and you're getting a lot of good feedback. You know, how important is it to be, and again, I, this is something I struggle with, how important is it to separate the identity of E.G. Graves, the playwright, from E.G. Graves doing other things? Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. Is it, yeah. Is, well, is, is, yeah, I'm sorry. So is, that, so is that a difficult balance, do you think? Like, the identity of I'm the creative playwright, and this is what I do, and this is all I do, and this is everything's wrapped up in this. This is my dreams, my hopes, my passions. I mean, is how difficult is it to separate that from E.G. Graves anywhere else in life? I mean, as far as you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I um, I think it's a challenge. You know, it it, it still goes back to uh, surprisingly confidence. How confident are you in your roles? Because I teach acting, I help people understand that we play roles in everyday lives, our everyday life. So at one moment you're dead, next moment you're writing your book, next moment you're doing a podcast. So those are different hats. And I think it's literally taking off the hat and focusing in. So what I would when I was writing the play, I would write the play after work. Hmm. Um, I happened to bring it to work and share it with people. That was only at the clinic, though. After the clinic, the next job, I didn't talk about the play at work. I would just work on the play. And then when it was time to market and promote it, we would just do that. And even now, that's not what I'm doing. I'm, I go to work now during the day. At the end of the day, I go, I work on the production. And my office, may they, they've been hearing a buzz, but they don't really know. And they'll hear about it as they need to hear about it. But mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's about just, um, and I think it helps us as writers to 
be in our zone, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. just be in the zone of, I think, so uh, I think, uh, I just, when, I, when I'm pausing, because my cast, even my cast, now some of them who auditioned knew me from somewhere before. Mm-hmm. And they knew me as Eric. And hey, he's the fun guy, whatever, whatever. But when they walked in this production, they were shocked at the professionalism and how serious it was. Mm-hmm. So I think immediately since in that, they saw E.G. Graves, the hat of E.G. Graves. And when once I got that respect, I just walk in that. I just walk in that. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So do you have any qualms about telling people they're good or bad when they audition? I mean, do you have any kind of like, you know, do you like any pullback or anything like that? Like, is there some, because <laughs> to me, I'm like, I feel like it's an interview and I don't, I'm not always comfortable interviewing people like for, you know, my job in a corporate sense or anything like that. But I mean, like you said, it's, it's, uh, you know, charged enough that they can hurt your feelings. I think it was kind of how you were saying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you're doing auditions with people and things like that. I mean, you obviously well, have been doing this for years now. So, uh, I mean, well, you pretty comfortable with that at this point? Well, know? well, the good news is two sides to that. One, yes, to your question. I, I, it's, not a, it's not as much as of a problem because I know the bigger vision that God has given me. And I know my heart. I know my heart is for the people. My, 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 I tell my cast, I said, my job is to take care of you. But your job is to take care of my audience. We won't compromise either. So if I'm going to do everything I can to make sure y'all feel valued, welcome, and respected, VIP, but you will get that same respect to the audience because it's just a just how it, you know. But I, I don't have that challenge. But the, one of the things I've learned is that I don't, I don't, I'm not really part of the audition process no more. That actually blesses me. So I, I do my audition process is blind auditions. You come in you don't get a monologue to practice so that i don't care what kind of actor you are if you can have 20 years of experience or you could be new you're all at the same level at our auditions so, so you come in up. so i could show yeah. up and try oh. right right okay. seriously well, you said you got 10 more coming so i might show up one of these days <laughs> yes, i love you Joshua. you'll be great so yeah but it's blind so you walk in and you don't you don't have any prep i don't care how your acting experience has been mm-hmm. so but at the same time i'm not there and so the next part of the process is an interview with me. Mm-hmm. And that's when I first, first time. So by the time I see you, my team is already, <laughs> and they, this time around, they've been really uh, rough. So <laughs> I only interview, and most people don't interview, but I interview just to see what your heart is. Because I write a little different. I do what I call a backdoor approach to, to writing. I don't write the way you think I should write. I'll give you a title and it'll sound like it should be one thing, but really I've and so I want to make sure people's heart or they're OK with the way I'm about to present it. And I do love me and Jesus pretty cool. So I want to make sure that, you know, that you're going to be on a set that's going to be inspiring, encouraging. And, and sometimes we go pray. Are you OK with that? You know, so that's awesome. That's awesome, man. Do you think that there's a lot to be gained from live performances as opposed to like film? You know, I mean, since you obviously went towards that direction. Cause I mean, there's people that are filmmakers and they think, you know, film is like where it's at. Like, this is how I'm going to inspire people. This is how I'm going to touch people is, is through film, through movies, through recorded, whatever it is. But you have a very like live, it's happening right now. It's right in front of people. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I guess. Well, about a year ago, I got, a, I got friends that do film and we actually got into a debate about that oh, no. because they were trying to downplay. Yeah. Okay. Because film is popular what's happening now and the movies the movie no doubt about it is definitely what's happening right but uh the debate they but the problem was they were trying to um play down the stage and i was reminding them that a lot of the stars that we see in in the film came performances so my my argument is pretty much this is that the raw talent of a person the trueness or the real confidence of what you could do comes from the stage. Mm. It's, it's no faking it, no faking it on the stage. There's no edits. There's no cuts. There's no. So you have to be Josh on the stage and you have to give your best or not. Either you you succeed or fail. There's no there's nothing cushioning you. And I think at the end of that, when you've done that, you are stronger, you're more confident, confident, and you have opportunity to make a more direct impact on the people that's in front of you. So for that reason, I stick with the stage. Stage. Mm-hmm. Now I do use film elements in my play because mm-hmm. just just you know, for and just for example, my last one, Adam Where Art Thou, I had extras on the stage. Well, you don't do that when you write plays. You if you're on the stage, you're speaking. 
But I had a restaurant and I wanted people sitting in the restaurant that didn't say nothing, say anything. So, but I do believe there's something about coming into your true self by, by stepping on a stage versus the film. Um, I definitely love going to movies and different things like that. But on the movie, I, I'm I, after you've acted, I go to the editing room and make the movie the way I want it. But on the stage, you don't get that luxury. And I think that's a benefit to the individual. That's really cool, man. That's a really great insight. I mean, I, I could maybe come to similar conclusions as a casual as a casual watcher and things like that because my two younger brothers were really involved in our high school plays. I mean, they did a lot of plays and they were in musicals and things like that. I actually, this is a total tangent sidebar, but I got I got hit in the throat when I was like fifteen, so I like mm-hmm. couldn't I couldn't sing anymore. Like there were certain octaves I just can't hit, so I mm-hmm. I had no. After that, I had no ambition to be on stage for any reason, <laughs> you know, like choir or anything like that or band, nothing. And my two younger brothers have very good voices. And so they they did all the musicals in high school and we got to see them perform. And I was always a little bit, little bit jealous, I would say, of their ability to just, you know, go up there and pipe out something and, and things like that. Because they always did a fantastic job. But I always, I was like, oh, what could have been? <laughs> but at the same time, you know, God had other, look, had it, other plans. But it is so great. <laughs> You see, in a way, it was able to impact you more directly, too, though. I mean, that's more of a not of a pleasant thought. Mm-hmm. But ma- imagine that same feeling in a positive light mm-hmm. where you've seen your brothers on stage and you felt inspired. Mm-hmm. Maybe you didn't sit, you hadn't sung yet. And you were like, I think I want to sing. You know, I think stage stage gives us that gift. It gives us that. It makes it personal. Mm-hmm. And I'm very relational. So I think stage for me helps me keep it relational. Mm-hmm. Um, there was opportunities to go into film, but when I got it, and then you know the debate I had with the gentleman, one a, a guy I know, he said I don't like I don't like plays because y'all rehearsals take weeks and months. Well, you know what, sir, y'all your yours take all day. <laughs> you you know you barely y'all y'all rehearsals are cut cut retakes retakes. And I, I was on the set of a of a movie. I was like, can we go home? You know. <laughs> So, or at least get me something to eat. I've been out here forever, right? <laughs> I'm getting hangry. Hangry used to be a made-up word, but now I'm getting hangry. So, so it balances out on both sides. There's a lot of pluses in film, though. Mm-hmm. I think you could communicate more of the, um, tr- the the troubles of life through film than you can on stage. Mm-hmm. I do think you got to be careful on stage with uh, stuff like drug 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 addictions, alcoholism, some of the new some of the uh, sturbs of life, uh, right? You can't really. You got to be very careful with that because because it's a it's spirit to spirit when you're in the play. Yeah, I was, but, gonna, I, I was gonna say yeah. There really is. There are certain things that you can kind of allude to with a stage presence as a, as opposed to on film because on film you have that ability, you have that luxury, like you were saying, where you can cut and edit things, and there's there's different angles that you can give the viewer that they're able to. You know, they basically you have the ability to take them anywhere. Essentially, yes. Whereas with with a live performance, you're you're sitting in a you know this is a stationary position. I get to see everybody up there, and they're moving around <laughs> doing different things. So I, I you know it's it's interesting as we're talking about this, and I'm just talking out loud. E.g., is you kind of have to fill in a lot of the blanks if you're watching a live performance. You know, you're you're you kind of are almost I don't want to say reading between the lines, but it's almost more difficult in some way. I think for a person who's doing a live performance to really convey the message the best way possible, as opposed to just spoon feeding it to somebody, you know, through That's film. True. And and I'm not downplaying film whatsoever because I got friends that are filmmakers that listen to this podcast. Too, so, yeah. so, I'm not, <laughs> so I don't want them to think I'm slighting them whatsoever. But no, no, film <laughs> gets his own accolades. I mean, film is amazing. I, the way I describe it to people uh, is that. With with play, you can you can really it's not read between the lines. Maybe maybe not. My experience has been you have to do you have to be more intentional about the dialogue in in stage plays. So you almost have to say everything. That's the spoon feed part. Where in film you can kind of you don't have you can you have to show more pictures. So you have to visually stimulate us and give and make our imagination work. Where on the stage I have to make sure I t- I I speak a lot more of the language. And I think when you do that. People, people don't have to read in between the lines as much. Gotcha, gotcha. So that's all. That's all really good, E.G. Um, shifting gears here, then, as far as the play is going to go on, and we're going to get to the one that you're doing soon here. But as far as marketing it now, I mean, you said you were doing a lot of kind of boots on the ground 
marketing with flyers and posters and and this is this is the digital age now man i mean even you and i having this conversation right now via uh you know sort of a teleconference if you will to even do this uh is a is a real blessing for us it's very fortunate that we have the technology to do so yeah how do you approach yeah how do you approach marketing something like this now I mean, is, is, you know, what are, what are some things that you kind of employ to do something like this? Interesting. Uh, definitely social media. Social media has been our greatest push down. Uh, the Facebook, the Instagram. I mean, we've gotten so much love just from that. So 90% of our stuff has been from the social media in this round. What's interesting, though, and so we're continuing to do that. We are on YouTube. We had a YouTube interview set up. We have different things. We have more. Um, group me so we're, we're going we're communicating through group me we're on facebook we're on instagram and it's getting a lot of and we're asking people to share asking people to subscribe and that's getting a lot of push so it's doing really good so we're flowing through that but interesting enough um with people people who know i've been doing this for a while they're approaching me directly so i try to get away from flyers and post postcards even when i told my team i said we're not even gonna do any of that we're going all digital we're you know but I'm finding now, and we just ordered some postcards because a lot of people still mm-hmm. like that personal touch. Mm-hmm. So we are, we're just now getting to that part of it, the grassroots. So where before uh, all I did was grassroots. Well, so we're just now, so because people are literally like, can I, can I have something? And I'm like, I still want stuff, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, so, so. No, no, that's really good. I, I'm sorry. Did you have another thought there or? No, cause, yeah, because I was just going to say, because one of the big tensions, I think, with being a creative is that you know you have this unlimited, like, audience out there, you know, like, out in the internet space, and you want to be able to reach it, right? You know, you want to be able to touch as many people as possible, but there really is something to be said for, there's a tangible thing I've been given, and I'm looking at a person in the face, and they're telling me about what they're, they're passionate about, and they want me to come see this thing. I mean, that's ultimately where you're going to be able to sell somebody as opposed yeah. to the casual, you know, internet surfer who's just looking through things and maybe they're a friend of a friend and they see a Facebook post post and they go, Oh, mistaken identity, that sounds kinda interesting. You know, right. Maybe I'll go, but I don't know any of these people. But I see a couple right. of friends are going. And your hope, of course, like like mine is, you know, I'm a dreamer, is this person sees right, it and too. goes, I'm gonna take this on a whim and I'm just gonna try it. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just gonna try. I'm gonna give it, you know, give it uh, you know, whatever, a chance. And uh, this will be the one time I get to impress them. So, so yeah. So I get I get a bit of that tension. So anyway, go ahead. I was gonna say I have an awesome team now. This is one of my blessings. This is the first time I had a team this solid. And one of the things I they they uh, they they call me about the photographer, call me about the hairstylist. So they're working on that stuff. So I I get the final say. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, they say I got this great hairstylist. Okay. So my first question is always, do you like them? Do you like them? Because I'm interested in the the, the, the relationship. You know, yeah. I, I'm glad you saw them on Facebook. I'm glad you saw them on social media, kind of like you're saying. And it's like, but do you do you like them? And then they, they go back and say, well, no, I don't really. Okay, so let's pick somebody else. So even though there's a digital age and there's a lot, you're right. There's something to be said about, uh, yeah, I hope that people see my stuff and hear this podcast and see all the stuff I'm putting out and say, oh, that sounds good. I like you. But but I hope they say they like him and then they want to go see it or versus because you know, it's a 50 chance. There. But I think it's important to like I think even a plumber. I had a plumber one time and I didn't like him. I just didn't like him. I, you know, I was just like. Was he not good? Was he not good? Or was he just like just not a good guy or whatever? (laughs) This was a good guy. So it didn't matter. It didn't matter what he was about to do to my pipes, to the pipes of my house. I didn't like him. So I think I think I think think that's important. Uh, people minimize that and people get deep with that part. But I think that but for the relationship, because you can be around anybody you choose, and you can work do business with anybody you want to do business with. But there should be some kind of. That's what I like about this with you. We had opportunities to speak, and I already knew I was gonna like you by, like you said, by Willie referring. So I was, I was game. I'm saying yes, put me on, because Josh got to be amazing, and you are, and you are. Well, thanks, and so, it, it, yeah, you are, and that's what makes this more. But if that, but imagine that if we didn't like each other, like that's not. <laughs> That doesn't work. Oh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but I think, but I see people, and then I've been guilty as well, where we've have we have acquiesced to 
a service or a uh, a play or a movie that we really just didn't even like the actor or like the person that was doing it on the other end. And I think that's a disservice to ourselves. So, um, I th- so I go back. With that being said, I go back to personal touches whenever possible. And it's a quick story. Last Sunday, a young lady um, wanted to buy tickets for the play. All of our tickets are on Eventbrite. It's helping my life to be on Eventbrite. Mm-hmm. Keeping track. I'm doing all good. It's keeping the record. Well, she didn't want to do Eventbrite. And I was trying to encourage her to go to Eventbrite. Like, she's a younger woman. I was like, go to Eventbrite. That, you know, she said no. And so she's like, I want some tickets. So now she got me printing tickets. I'm going to print some tickets. Just, but, be, but here's why I'm doing that. Okay. This lady last week sold $150 in tickets on her own. Wow. On her own. Wow. And then, then she, texted me this, she texted me this morning. She got $300 more for me to pick up this Sunday. Wow. And that... That was a that was a grassroots moment. That wasn't a that wasn't a digital moment. I was trying to get her to go, but so you know you just you just I think that the secret now is just balance it. You know, don't just be so antiquated, but also don't forget that a t- a, a, a touch still still works. No, absolutely, it does. I mean, I the book signings that I go to when I actually get to be in front of people and talk to them about what I've written and get to give my elevator speech and what I what I enjoyed doing that I took all this time to do. Uh, it's it's a bit of a humbling moment as well because you, you're sitting there and you, you know, I've obviously worked on this now. I'm much better at it now than I was when I first did it because when I first had to go to a, a book signing and give an elevator pitch and say what my book was about, I'm there going, uh, you know, kind of fumbling over my words. And now it's just so much more natural and, you know, you can just kind of talk to people and, and that goes a long way. And you, you end up being much better at, I guess, for what it's worth, just selling the book, you know, and selling the story and, and people become a little more invested in it too. So, so that's really cool. And then your, your book becomes more valuable to me because you signed it in front of me. Imagine sending that to me digitally, you know, that would, I'll be impressed or whatever I would be, but it's much better to see you put your hand and then later I'll probably still have that book because you signed it. So that's a compliment to you as well. You know, and I I just don't want to, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm letting God lead it. So as far as it goes electronically, digitally, I'm leaving that up to God, but people still like the, they still want you to sign the book. That's exactly right. I don't think we'll ever get away from that either. I think if if we do start getting away with that, we're going to lose something really special. So, um, uh, so, so kind of, uh, you know, bringing this in for a landing for the most part, I mean, this has been an awesome conversation, EG, uh, let's talk about mistaken identity. Cause that is your big project that's coming up. We won't touch on any of the 10 you got coming out, man. Cause that's, <laughs> that's the, that's the, yeah, that, that might be like a future. That might be like a future podcast episode we could do with you. Okay. Uh, Cause I would love to have you back on, man. You've got a lot of just depth of knowledge and just, just well-spoken on these things. So, so I appreciate it. But the, um, the actual project that's right in front of you right now, mistaken identity, little bit of just, you know, 411 on it, you know, just, you know, anything, I guess you could kind of give the listeners a little bit to, to chew on as far as what you guys yeah. are doing. Again, a, a play birth by pain, just give you a little backstory. It's, uh, it's about three, well, it's been since 2010 in the making. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called mistaken identity. And when you usually think of mistaken identity, you think of somebody stealing your wallet and being Josh now. Which would, you know, which would be a compliment. Okay. But they took your wallet. <laughs> they took your wallet. I appreciate and you so much, you man. Josh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're all right. Thanks, and so they took your wallet. So, but, so this is not mistaken identity. That is that is literally what it is. But what, what I wrote it, it means you are not the sum of your pain, your problems, or your past. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we'll have some pain in our life, be it death, be it a job loss, be it something, and we'll get stuck there. Or we'll have some problems or some burdens that we that we fail to overcome, and we'll let that define us. We'll let a relationship that broke us broke our heart define us, and that's a case of mistaken identity. And so the interesting thing about my plays I didn't mention is that all of my plays, I have characters in it that are me stretched. Hmm. I exaggerate. So in this particular one, there's a guy. There's a this, the gentleman is very angry because he lost his wife and, he, you know, some other stuff going on. I mean, just other things going on. He lost his father. I'm sorry. He lost his father. And he's just so angry and he's holding on to his anger. But he realizes he, he, he hopefully he realizes that you're not your anger, though. Hmm. You're not defined by the pain of your life. Well, when I wrote that, I was very angry. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I, I had to therapeutically write a way to overcome that. And you find out through the play how to do that, how to overcome. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lady in there who's dealing with her, her self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she thinks her low self-esteem is her identity. It's not. She is exactly, she's becoming what people said she was. So if you, like people used to call me not good looking. So after a while, I started to believe I wasn't good looking, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not defined by that stuff. So it's, mis- it's a case of mistaken identity. So all the characters in this production um, in this play, rather, uh, they represent me and the struggles that I was going through in my self-esteem and dealing with my anger and my emotions. As a man, I thought the only anger was I thought the only emotion was anger because mm. that was the one I could easily express. Mm. But sometimes I'm sad and sometimes I'm not, you know, sometimes I'm surprised. <laughs> right. But I used to I used to just see anger, angry. No, you're disappointed. You know, you're no, I'm angry. No, you're sad. So I, I think I help people see that in the production as well through the emotions, particularly through men. I tend to uh, give lean toward men a little bit because we get the short end of the stick on a lot of things. And a lot of times we don't do a lot of um, the, the, the healing that we need yeah. to take care of our families and stuff like that. And, and women don't really ask us, are we OK? We're too busy playing it off like, yeah, I'm fine, you know. But, <laughs> That's so true. But I think, That's so true. <laughs> and it, you know, it's our secret, it's our male secret. But I think what I do in the play is I, I help expose that. So if it, if somebody knows somebody who's dealing with anger, they'll they'll want to bring them to this play, and it'll be encouragement to them. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. There's something to be said for that. I mean, as far as the masculine heart is concerned, we're not very good at being emotionally in tune with ourselves. You know, right. uh, women are much better at that. And they're also much better at realizing that about us, too. You know, they can, you know, are, I, I, I like, I've had this conversation with Willie, uh, as well as a few other gentlemen that I've had on the podcast that, and in, in strange ways, your wife is, is kind of that really, really good mirror that's able to kind of yeah. tell you exactly the things that you don't want to look at and see in the mirror, but, but she can, she can point those things out for you. Um, so uniquely, that's why he, I think is the way to put it. Yeah. But that's why he defines a wife finds a good thing. So that's good. Cause we find, we should be looking for our mirror, mm-hmm. but nobody talks like mm-hmm. we should, we should be looking for the part. We should look for the woman that compliments mm-hmm. the parts we don't know about. So, yeah. so I agree with that. Heartily, heartily. But great. I, I don't know if I did justice with the play, but I, it's not about, it's not just about that. I, I think that there's so much more. It's, it's, the play has so, this mistaken identity. Is I, I really want people, it's not just about men. It's funny. It's thought provoking. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's, it's going to be a lot of things. It's family friendly. I want people to come to this production if you feel like that you've been holding on to anything too long and making that a part of who you are and not realizing that. No, you are exactly who God said you are. If you wake up every day and you get a new day to live, that's that's your that's who you are. You're not anything that happened five minutes ago. You're not, you know, if you, yeah, it's over with. Is that you've conquered it, you've beat it. And I think I want people to see that that you don't have to be defined by what other people's opinions are. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be defined by your job. There's a gentleman in the play who struck who is he put all his faith in his job. And now the job lets them go. Well, you, that's not who you are. You know, so it's a lot of somebody's going to come and identify themselves in this production. They're going to see mm-hmm. themselves. They're going to say, wow, that's my because I cover job. I cover self-esteem. We cover anger. We cover just general identity. Who am I mm-hmm. as a person? Um, so we got we cover, you know, just, so it's a lot of little nuances in there that we just touch. And um, I think that's one of the uniqueness about me writing, I write more story than I write musicals. Mm. I love musicals, mm. but I don't I don't have a lot of music in mind. I have a lot more story. So I'm gonna take you on a journey, I'm gonna make you laugh. I am uh and then the other side of that is that this particular production is tying into my company acting out real life. Mm. And it's a foundation I'm trying to start where I help uh at risk youth. And we can talk more about that in another podcast. But yeah, at risk youth who are that are in foster care transition to adulthood. Wow. So this is actually the platform. So we're not we're not just learning lives, Josh. We're we're changing lives. Mm. I love that, man. I love that. I love your heart behind that, E.G. I love it. That's really good, man. Um, wow, you got you kind of got me a little bit uh, 
uh, speechless now. I don't know how to go, go from there. I don't really know how to go from there, man. I'm so excited, Josh. So forgive me, but I, I mean, I've said a whole lot. I should have kept it more focused, but I've enjoyed you. I just, I just, I don't know. I guess I had some stuff built up. I want to be like, <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it's great. It's great. I mean, all this, uh, this has been a great conversation. Um, I've learned a lot from you just in the, in the about a little less than an hour that I think that we've been talking. Um, yeah. As far as, Going forward, when will Mistaken Identity premiere? Where is it going to be at? And how can you find tickets aside from Eventbrite? If there's this person wandering the streets who's trying to get, <laughs> trying to sell physical tickets, like you were saying earlier. Sure. Um, yeah, well, where could we find you? Great question. Mistaken Identity premiere is March 23rd, Saturday, March 23rd. Doors open at 6.15. Mm-hmm. It's from 7 to 9. It's an hour and a half show with a 15-minute intermission. Mm-hmm. It's going to be awesome. It's, it's going to be at the Breen Performing Arts Center on West 30th, uh, just a few minutes from the West Side Market on West 25th. So it's not too far from there, right across from St. Ignatius. So, of course, Eventbrite is, the, is one way you can find us. You can go to mistakenidentityplay.com. To get more information, if you're just walking around on the street, we will be at all the ma- we should be in the next few days. We'll be at all the major libraries. So all the libraries will have a postcard. We'll have our postcard and flyers uh, as we were on this podcast on this podcast, my team just texted me and they said, our flyers are in. So in the next days, we, they will be distributed out. So you can walk into the library. Um, also, they're going to be in Panera's. They're going to be in uh, coffee shops. So you'll yeah, you'll be you know wow. around. But all the libraries is a good one. That's awesome. That's awesome. So lots of different places for people to, to find out where this is going to be at and, and come see it. So awesome, man. Yeah. Just really awesome. I love what you're doing. I love your heart behind it. I love the vision, um, and I just love how you're able to speak to those areas. I think that that a lot of people who maybe are listening to this might go, you know what, that's that's very inspiring. Uh, maybe I'll go check this out, and maybe in some other ways, I want to get in touch with this guy and just kind of see, sure. you know, see what he's been doing. So, so really good. I, well, go ahead. So say, just add this part. I'm a professional hugger. Since I didn't have a lot of hugs growing up, I like to hug. So if somebody is inspired and they want to come, I want to say right right here, please hug me after the show. I I, I love the hugs and I would love to meet. I would just and let me know, let me know that you heard me on the podcast so I can know you know that just be encouraged, encourage my faith. So if you come to the show after hearing this, make sure you see me and hug me. I am a professional hugger and. Uh, <laughs> You should yeah. add that to like a business card or something, EG. I think so. <laughs> I think you should. Create a playwright okay. and professional hugger. Thank you very much. <laughs> See, that's catchy. I like that, Josh. Uh, right. I like that. There you go. I think, I, well, this, this is a creative podcast. What'd you expect? You know, it's going to come. It's like going to come out. going to come out. I'm going to write so. that down. We will. We will. So mistakenidentity.com. You can find it there. E.G. Graves, man, this has been a pleasure. Uh, I'm definitely happy you back on here, man. Maybe post-production we can have another conversation or something. So that would be cool. Yeah. Has anybody ever interviewed you, Josh? Because I'm interested in your writer's lens. I would love to – oh, your own podcast, though. I would love to just let the world hear a little bit more about you because I definitely hear uh, just some inspiration and even you naming it the writer's lens. So maybe we have an opportunity to speak about that one time too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I'm open to that. I've been on a few um, – I've been on a few other podcasts around here in Cleveland. Uh, gentleman Brian Del Turco, Jesus Smart, I've been on there. Um, this is me tooting my own or touting my own horn at this point, uh, listeners. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and then Substance TV, uh, I'll be on there again soon as well, uh, which with uh, which is with Jason Howard, who owns Mosaic Media. He does Substance TV as well uh, alongside Brian Del Turco. So I've been on I've been on there as well. So yeah, just. I love networking and I love getting in touch with folks that are out there trying to impact, you know, society, culture, just issues that are out there right now. So I like making new connections like this. So this was really good. Here, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Thanks again, EG. We'll talk to you. Yes, sir.